I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. Okay, everybody, welcome back to It's the Journey. I'm your host, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo. Thank you, as always, to my return listeners, and welcome to anyone that's listening for the very first time. So, as my return listeners know, that during this period of strangeness that we're all living through, uh, one thing I've done to cope is to look inward at my own thoughts and actions because that's what I was that's what I had control over versus what media and social media were throwing at me of things that I should be afraid about or angry about or whatever. So I just focused on what, well, what, what can I do? And that has led to the projects I've been working on, including um, the book and the podcast where I'm just trying to put something positive and helpful into the world. And especially through the podcast where I'm, where I'm, where I'm working to celebrate people who are working to live their dreams and be the change that they want to see in the world. And if you've been following the post I've been doing recently, one thing I've been really focused on, because I've just gotten so frustrated with some of the environmental stuff and social stuff that's going on, is like, well, what again, what can I do? So I've been trying to reduce my consumption, reduce my waste, and reduce my carbon footprint. And again, not not because it's about me, it's just, you know, well, if I'm doing it, who else can do it versus us waiting for, you know, a green new deal that may or may not happen. So how, what can we do? So that's what I've been trying to do. And as, as part of that, I've also been trying to focus on being more conscious about when I do buy products, where I'm buying them and what I buy. And as part of project or operation, no car Carlo, where I'm trying to get rid of my car at some point, uh, as I've been riding my bike around to different things, I stumbled across a kindred soul right here in my own neighborhood. Morgan Knoll is the founder of the social goods marketplace that's right here in the Shaw neighborhood of Tower Grove in St. Louis. Morgan launched her business you know, during the pandemic as part of her own self-reflection on how she could apply her values to her life. And she created this lovely store where people can go and support and buy products and brands around some really well thought out and beautiful core values. And we'll, we'll dive into all that with Morgan. So with that, let's jump in and meet Morgan and hear her stories and see what we can learn from what, what kind of wisdom she has to share. Morgan, thank you so much for joining me on It's the Journey. Hi. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So yeah, when I, when I rode my bike past your, your store, actually the first time I did it, it wasn't even open. So I just had to like peer in the windows and see what was going on. And then I'm like, I got to come back here because I was, I had already been shopping for and looking for some of the fun things you buy, like the, the um, naturally made uh, dish scrubbers uh-huh. and, and bar form shampoo. So I don't have plastic and all that fun stuff. So maybe let's start with uh, what your, what, what the social goods marketplace is and what your core values are that you use to, to build 
to build this, this thing you launched? Yeah. So I feel like I'm always changing how I describe it a little bit, kind of refining it um, all the time. But I would say that the social goods marketplace is like a consciously curated collection of um, home goods, skincare, paper goods, um, all kinds of different products that are informed by values of sustainability, social justice, and self-care. Perfect. Lovely. <laughs> now, uh, where, so where did, the, where did those values come from? Like, you know, what was that been, been a part of your life and what you're focused on for a while or something you arrived at just in um, this period of reflection? Yeah. I mean, it's, there are definitely things that have been kind of personally important to me. Um, and so when I was setting up the shop, um, I always knew I wanted it to be values driven and that's just kind of my personal approach, um, to business or, or what I like to see in businesses. Um, and that's just how I wanted to do it. So, um, I was trying to spend some time focusing on what exactly do I want those values to be? So I did spend some time, um, working on those. And at first I was thinking about just like people and planet, those are kind of the underlying things, right? Um, until I eventually arrived on, on the, the values that we just spoke about. So I actually first started with, with kind of those two ideas, um, which turned into sustainability and social justice. And I, I felt like something was missing. Um, those were two things that I kind of tried to pursue, um, in my life through different avenues and try to have those things in mind, um, when I was purchasing things, um, and then when I decided to, to add kind of the self-care element, I felt like that was really rounding it out um, because I do think if we're, if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're not um, getting what we need, then it's hard to show up for those other things in the first place. So that kind of made it feel like, like all the pieces were there. It, it's funny you talk about this in pieces. Um, and my listeners will have to bear with me because I, I talk about this a lot. But uh, are you familiar at all with with integral theory with by Ken Wilber? Um, I don't think so. Okay, so he dives into something that goes all the way back to Aristotle, where he talked about the Aristotle talked about the good, the true, and the beautiful. And these three uh, value spheres of of you know of humanity. So the um, the true would be things that we look at in science that we can look, feel, and touch. Um, the good is, is, you know, society and people and each other. And, and through that, a lot of it is, you know, what, yes, our, what our values are for each other. And then the, the beautiful is what's inside of ourself, this in, inner, inner world that we all share, this, all, this I that we all call ourselves. And so the good, the true, the beautiful, or um, more modern, we, we'll talk about art, science, and religion. And, and forgetting about the aspects of religion that cause, you know, issues, the, the, the division part of it, just the, the, the part of the, the part of a, a, a means of knowing what's good and bad and right and wrong. And your, your values touch on all that. Self-care is taking care of the I, um, social justice, taking care of the we, and, um, then what was the third one? The environment, um, sustainability. Sustainability. I'm sorry. I kept thinking of environmentalism, but yeah, it's just so sustainability, taking care of the world, the world that we live in, that we're all part of, that we are inseparable from. So, 
<laughs> that your business is is an integral business by his definition. So might be might be one of the books you want to add to your bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love uh, that uh I feel like his version is kind of like a rose tinted version, which I'm all about. So Okay. Like <laughs> lovely. <laughs> and um that's another thing I love about your business is that I was drawn to it for the, the thing I was most focused on, which is which is um sustainable you know, sustainability and environment and trying to reduce my plastic consumption, things like that. But then as I walked around your store, I start seeing other products that I hadn't thought of and books that 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 were in alignment with my thinking or that weren't necessarily they weren't even about environmental issues, but about social justice issues or different ways of looking at, at different things that have happened in history. So you, when you talk about how you've curated your products, that's that's absolutely true. And I think it would resonate with what a lot of people want to see right now um, in in a store and a business. I'm so glad to hear that because that's kind of what I'm going for, I guess, is like it to be um, kind of an experience or something that you can come in and, and find something that will surprise you or that will take you in a little bit of a different direction, um, but also a space that's really kind of approachable for anybody. So if you've never heard of any of these topics before, um, I want it to be kind of really easy to absorb. Um, but if you have been interested in them for a while, I, I hope that um, you can still find something of value there. Absolutely. So, so for our local listeners, uh, let's let everybody know exactly where you are. Um, so the address is 4002 Shenandoah Avenue. Um, so it's in the Shaw neighborhood. It's on the corner of Shenandoah at Lawrence. So it's about uh, two blocks in from Tower Grove Park. I'm a block west of Isis Plain and Fancy and a block east of Thurman's. Okay, awesome. With, I mean, there's so many people that come down to this area where either live here and are able to walk there, uh, ride their bike there. It's great. And then so many people that come down to this area now, especially for um, the farmer's market, this that would be an easy, easy stop to, to pop by and um, look and see what you have in terms of uh products and ideas and, and, and things they can kind of incorporate in everybody's homes for, to, um, to support those values. Yeah. I feel like, um, pe people do know the neighborhood, but it is pretty residential. So it's nice to get, uh, people visiting from all over. So on your, uh, Instagram feed, I noticed you had, uh, you had a background. What was your, what was your educational background that, that kind of helped prepare you for some of this? Um, yeah, so I, I went to NYU um, in New York, and I was in a program where you kind of design your own program, essentially. So really free form. Um, they kind of let you do whatever, which is what I was looking for. Um, and the idea in that school is that every field is kind of interdisciplinary. So none of the classes even really have categorizations. Like you wouldn't say this one is an economics class and this one is psychology, like everything, they're kind of forced to relate the topic to as many other things as possible. Um, so I can oh, wow. see the effects of that on me now where, where I was kind of trying, it's called the Gallatin school. And I, I think about it like, oh, I was trying to kind of Gallatin my life. Like I have all these different interests and all these things I'm, uh, I want to pursue. And so the store is in a way kind of me trying to bring a bunch of different things together. Um, 
but yeah, so I, I studied um, social entrepreneurship there. So um, as we kind of mentioned, the idea that values are, are really important to the business, um, that's kind of the whole concept of social entrepreneurship, that um, you have a business or you have an idea that you're pursuing, um, but the social impact is really upfront um, and a super kind of necessary part of it existing in the first place. Um, so I studied that mm -hmm. mostly. And then I studied um, like globalization studies. Um, so kind of different regions all over the world, how we're all getting more um, related to each other and more interconnected all the time. Excellent. Um, I love, th there's been, there's been a lot of, and, and rightly so, a lot of frustrations with um, the, the, the capitalistic structure that exists right now and, and a lot of the harm and that, that, that's come about from that. And, and just kind of keeping in, keeping in alignment with, um, or in the theme of controlling and doing what we can. Um, I see a lot of, a lot of posts that maybe feel good about, you know, destroy, destroy capitalism. And may, that may feel cathartic to say that's easier said than done. And that, and then that's, that's the system that we live in right now. And so what I like about what you're doing is that you're like, well, how do I operate within that system? To also and also try to bring about change with it. How do I use it? How do I use the tools of being an entrepreneur and starting a business, and also bring about the change that I want? And you see, you see different examples of that, you know, big and small. That example of a, I forget the name of the company. There's a CEO that decided that his minimum. He read somewhere that the that the kind of threshold where people are able to like live and not really be worried about money is like earning $70,000. So he just, he took a massive cut in his pay and like, that's the lowest starting salary. <laughs> and everybody criticized him for that, but his company's thriving now. Yeah. I love that and you, guy. You've seen other. I don't remember his name either, yeah. but yeah, I'm familiar. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tag him in the, in the show notes because I, I follow him on LinkedIn and he does, he does a lot of really cool things and calls out, calls out, um, he did a post or a post this week about calling out bosses that email and text their employees on their time off. Mm. Like that. So that's great. He's like, that's, that's worker exploitation. And so <laughs> that's, that's great. And so, um, I don't know. I, I just wanted to acknowledge that of what you're doing is like, you know, you're, you're, you're operating within the system, but also the way that you want to and, in, in a way that you will hope to exact change on, on the world and just the system. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, like you're saying, it kind of feels in a way like we don't have a choice, right? Like this is the system that we have. Um, and we just have to do what we can while it still exists. Um, I definitely think that we need some sort of cultural shift, especially around working. And I, I feel like you feel this way too around just like, um, I don't know, putting too much emphasis on it or, or so many people are um, just working too much. And, and so I don't think that's good. Um, and, I, and I love these examples of people that are doing, doing something different. Um, but I, I do hope that we see a little bit more of a cultural shift in, in shorter work weeks and higher pay and, and that it becomes a little bit more of the norm Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, in the meantime, I think we have to do all that we can. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's all, that's all we, that's all we can do. <laughs> like, I think I read a lot of history and I, especially this period in, in, um, you know, because of my, my, my family background, I read a lot of Italian history. So there's these, and, and it's all over, it's true for huge parts of the world and all over, but, but there's periods in where after the fall of, of, um, Rome pieces of Italy just kept getting conquered and reconquered and reconquered by, you know, Spain and France and Austria and the Byzantines and, and North African Muslims and the Normans and you name it. And so I think about like, you know, in terms of like how many people lived through all that and, you know, maybe they were farmers or they made bread or clothing or whatever. And they may not have liked it. It may have, it may have, it may not have been happy that the flags changed and now they're paying taxes to this person versus that person or whatever horrible things happen as a result of that. But they had to persevere and like, well, this is like you said, this is the system. How do I, how do I survive? How do I thrive? How do I carry on? And many of those people never even saw the full change of what, of what happened. And, and I think it's kind of what any time period you're living in, it's like living in a bit of a dust storm where you don't, you can't see the other side of it because we're not going to live forever. So you, I think we try to do our best and be the best example we can and make change where we can for whoever's coming next. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really interesting point, especially um, kind of in the midst of COVID and especially in the United States, um, because I feel like it's been the first time in a while, at least where it kind of the population at large is kind of having to deal with a crisis. Um, and I think that's unique for the United States that, that many people felt like they haven't had to deal with something like that before, right? Like different countries all over the world are in periods of conflict and stuff like that all the time. And so maybe it wasn't as jarring um, to everyone as it was here. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting with everyone just wanting to to push back to normal rather than um, kind of accepting that we're living in a different time and and we have to adapt. Mm-hmm. You know, having <clears throat> that's a that's a super good point. Is this like this is America has been sheltered from pandemics for you know it wasn't it was the you know the Spanish flu was the last one and we I barely even learned about that in school. You know, um, I had to learn about it from, from the history channel. Uh, and then we haven't had any, so we've been sheltered from so many of the big, terrible, th- even when we had world war two, it wasn't our factories that were bombed and our roads and schools and bridges and churches and everything else that were burned and destroyed. It was somewhere else. So even though we suffered or sacrificed, it wasn't what other countries saw and faced. And so, yeah, that was, it was something that really hit home and it kind of reminded me too, if not everybody listening will will remember this, but when you talked about people like wanting to get back to normal and people were asking me that in March, April, May, June, when do you think this will be over? When do you think this will be done? When mm-hmm. do you think we'll be back to normal? And having lived through, you know, 9-11 and all the stuff that happened there, it, I was having like, not flashbacks in the sense of like BTSD, but like memories of people saying the same thing about the Middle East. You know, mm. it was six or months or a year after those wars started and p- 
people were asking me, when do you think we'll get out? I'm like, you know, we still have soldiers in, now that's, you know, we, we, we did pull out of Afghanistan, but I mean, that, at the point I was like, you know, at the time I was like, we still have soldiers in, in Germany and Japan and Cuba and almost everywhere. It's like this, this is a new period. This is a new thing. Um, unless there's some miracle. So this, um, that it really kind of set in for me like, yeah, well, this, if this is the new, if this is, well, I mean, of course, living fully shut down isn't what happened, but like, what 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 is what does life look like on the other side of this and what what changes can i make in my own life to 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 survive or thrive or cope or or try to make a difference yeah and and in some ways that also really makes me think about the way that the united states is also kind of sheltered from um like our environmental impact and and the way that we kind of go about things now and thinking that that can continue forever. Um, and -hmm. I think about this, um, statistic, I want to say, I think it's changed now, but like if everyone on earth consumed products and goods and whatever at, at the same pace that Americans did, that we would need like somewhere now between five and six planet earths (laughs) to support them all. Um, and so, I think I there's that. in the like in the future there's going to be so many ways that we will have to change our lifestyle um, just to mm-hmm. continue. There's two things there, and, and, and a big part of that is like, and and neither. And that's one thing I've I've been trying to focus on with my posts is like we, we we as individuals have to change. Like the neither political party is telling Americans that you're going to have to do with less. That you're going to maybe have to have a smaller house and and not as many cars and not as many not as much stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. that's something I want to write about more in my, if I have another project I'm working on, but like this lifestyle, this, this lifestyle that is consuming, like you said, five earths of resources, if the whole world lived the way we do, and they sort of, many of them do like the, a lot of the world is trying to, to become more American in, in, in terms of the way people live and the purchases and things they have and stuff like that. Um, the thing is, is like, that lifestyle isn't even producing abundant happiness and joy. You know, like they look at our suicide rates and depression rates and alcohol and drug abuse rates, legal and illegal. Uh, it's not even that it's like, well, it's, it's consuming all these resources, but boy, it's great. It's not, it's not even <laughs> measurably working in, in, in terms of like bringing joy and satisfaction, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think about that a lot too when I've been – kind of traveling or abroad. And I feel like so many people have responses to the United States or maybe they get excited or they, they have, um, you know, definitely some cultural input from over here or they like our movies or whatever. And, um, I just feel like, yeah, like you're saying, we're, we're not there in terms of happiness. Like people want to strive to have, um, the same material things that we have, but from this side, you can kind of see that, it's not resulting in, in people who are happier. We don't have, um, you know, a, a higher percentage of people who feel fulfilled, probably a lower one. And so, um, mm-hmm. hopefully maybe some of those lifestyle changes would, would be more positive and in, into getting people into more kind of a community focused, um, way, right? Like, 
I, I think about like supermarkets and just the food that we're consuming and the fact that we have like tropical fruits or like vegetables flown from halfway around the world. <laughs> um, even though we can, yeah. like, even though we can grow some of them right here. And so, um, I feel like that's a shift that will, will have to happen. Like just consuming more local, um, not having access to any kind of food that you want on every single day of the year, things like that, that, that aren't even necessarily negative. Um, I think there can be a lot of Hmm. benefit to eating, um, more seasonally and things like that. Yeah. And that's, that's just a cultural thing. It's, it's a cultural, I guess, uh, reconditioning we need to have, you know, like in, in, um, a lot of places in Italy, like you, even the restaurants are super focused around what's fresh. Like, you know, if, if you're a local, you wouldn't order, let's say pesto in a season when basil's not growing mm, like because they mm-hmm. want fresh, they want fresh pesto because it tastes better right? <laughs> and it's, and you're supporting like the guy down the street that grows it, you know? Um, we're so spoiled, like you said, in being able to get, you know, um, whatever we want at any time we want. And even like in St. Louis, I had to have someone else point this out to me. Like some of the, some of the bigger farmers markets aren't really, a friend of mine pointed me out, pointed this out. He's like, well, that's really not a farmer's market. I'm not going to name names, but he's like, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, how many banana farmers are there in uh, Missouri? (laughs) You know, (laughs) some of the farmer's markets that are just going to the same places that, that the grocery stores go and get their stuff. They're not supporting, you know, like Tower Grove is actually, those are people that are growing things here, making the honey here, growing the tomatoes. And you can't buy tomatoes in January at the farmer's market because <laughs> there's not any. Right. So. Yeah. And I think isn't even that so much more enjoyable to kind of go and, and meet people and have an experience and, and feel like you know where your food is coming from. And now you have a connection because you got to chat with the vendor and things like that. Um, I think that's so nice. Yeah. Uh, on that note, I'm actually going to go and help my friend uh, Jill Duncan tomorrow harvest. She's got a look like an urban farm and she grows uh, lettuce and greens and carrots and turnips and all kinds of fun stuff. And I volunteered to help <laughs> harvest harvest tomorrow for the stuff that she's selling on Thursday. Oh, great. And that's a new experience. So I've never done that. So, yeah. <laughs> um. Circling back to what you said about, you know, this, this, this work life balance as I was really, really my hope that at least for some chunk of the population that so many people, millions of people being forced to live, not, not live, but I guess work from home, seeing that they could do it. And a number of corporations are like, wow, this, our, our employees are as productive or more and they're happier. And maybe we can get rid of thousands or millions of square feet of office space. That's just, I mean, how dumb is all that for so many of these jobs? Like you, you get in your dumb car and you drive miles and miles and miles to go sit in another building at a desk when you, <laughs> when you, right. don't, when you don't need to. <laughs> it's such a dumb way we've invent, we've, we've, we've designed our society where you just, you drive and drive and drive and drive for all these things. Um, so I'm hoping that that is a wake up call for a lot of some of the corporations are really trying hard to get people to come back. And I've seen all kinds of studies on LinkedIn where thousands and thousands of employees are, are when they're being polled, they're saying, 
if if they're forced to come back, they're going to start looking for another job. And I hope I hope that happens. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another one of my issues with the the push to get back to normal is like we have an opportunity here to kind of reimagine the way that we do certain things rather than like forcing everything to to go back to the way that it was before, um, especially if there's kind of better, better ways to do things that we can think about. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I think it was an article by maybe the Washington Post that was like, um, they did studies on a four day work week or something and, and that everyone got exactly the same amount of work done. And in fact, they were much happier, <laughs> but uh, the downside yeah, in their eyes it. was that um, people weren't as excited about their jobs anymore because they, they had more going on in their life to be excited about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I a hundred percent believe that. And I think so, so many of the jobs that, that, that are done are, Hey, think about all the jobs that are done around global distribution systems and, and some some marketing jobs where your, your job is to market straws. No, no 12-year-old, when they're pretending to be something, is pretending to market to search engine optimization or whatever it is. And I'm not I'm not I'm not down on anyone's job, but it's like like there's so much, there's so many jobs that are being done that at the end of the day, aren't, aren't bringing people joy. They aren't, they aren't, they aren't someone's like purpose in life. And so we all have to do something. We all have to make some money, but if you can make that money in four days a week or three days a week and be as productive, like that's the thing you got to do. That's how you're going to sell your time in your life to make some money and then have more time off to to, to work on your humanity and growth and development, well, what, what would that, what would that do for society? You know? Yeah. I think that makes me think about just kind of the, the workaholic idea and how here, like we have just pushed work to be like the most important thing that you do in your life. And the thing that kind of represents your worth to the outside world. And it has to, and, and I'm not by any means like separate from this or unaffected by this. Um, but, you know, the idea that um, it just has to represent everything to you. And, and I think um, amongst my friends, too, and for me, certainly, um, there's just there feels like a lot of pressure to like, how do I get this exactly right? How is this um, the, the perfect expression of, of what matters to me? And I think you can definitely see that present for me in the shop. And so it's definitely still a dialogue for me personally about trying to find that balance and, and trying to find, or or just to reframe things in my mind about what's important and and the way that I want to live my life and, and how much of that is work. And I do like to work on things and I do enjoy feeling productive or making progress on different things, whatever that is, whether it's work related or not. Um, but yeah, I guess like a question I've been asking myself lately, just kind of open-ended that I've been trying to keep in my mind is like, if there was absolutely no societal pressure to have a career at all, what would I want to do with myself? And just kind of entertaining that. Um, because I feel like that is one of those things where if you kind of investigate it, 
there's so many forces putting pressure there that, that maybe most people aren't doing what they would prefer to do for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. No, abs- absolutely. And uh, a few things I want to hit on with that is that, <clears throat> yeah, we, 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 society, so much society, even from like when kids are very little, they start being, they start getting asked, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be? What do you, and I think there's a big difference between what are you going to be versus what are you going to do? Because what are you, what are you going to be implies that you're not that already. You're not, you're not enough. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you do that, when you, when you start being whatever your field is and what your profession is, that's what you are. And then on the backside of people's careers, they lose their sense of meaning. Cause if, you know, if they, if they were, their being revolves around being a senior executive or vice president of whatever, and they're not that anymore, then what are they? You know, the first couple decades of their life, they were told they had to decide to be that thing. Then they spent 30 or 40 years being that thing. <laughs> then they're 60 or 65 and they're not that anymore. And if they had a family, the kids are grown. So like they're, yeah, then they, they have this like this identity crisis of like, well, what am I? What do I do? And and a lot of people grow old and die because of that because they don't have this sense of purpose anymore. We don't, as a society, we don't value people when they're not that thing anymore. The same way that other cultures do, they value their value um, older people and, and and their sense of purpose. Um, so I think that's that's a different like having having the question that you're asking yourself. I think is so important. Like, well, well, what what how you know if I didn't have to work, what would I do? And how would I spend my time? We have to make money and we also have to like eat nutritious foods and we, there are certain things we need to do. Um, but you know, if you could take, you have to take some time, you have to deliberately create time and space to kind of think about those. And you may not find the answer right away, but you know, if you don't do the work, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never stumble across it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been kind of a, a funny tension for me is, um, the fact that obviously you have to make some sort of money to survive. And I feel like I was, you know, one of those people trying to study what I wanted to study and adults would always tell me like, Oh, you're going to have no money. And I was like, eh, whatever. And now I'm kind of, <laughs> Oh yeah. Like just kind of feeling that, you know, like, um, <laughs> feel, feeling the difficulty of that. Um, but yeah, I try not to be, too influenced by it. Like, it's kind of like a puzzle for me. Like, okay, how am I going to make money so that I can pay my bills? And how do I try to kind of stay true to, to my best vision of life and the way that I want to live it? Um, but yeah, I, I think I've always that kind of picture you were painting of like, you grow up, you go to school, you work for 40 years at one thing and then you retire and in your seventies, that's supposed to be like the first free time that you ever have has, has never been something I felt like I could even try to do. Um, so, and I think that is kind of shifting slowly for, for negative reasons because people, um, in their twenties are, are seeing that, Hey, maybe retirement in my sixties isn't going to be an option because, the age keeps raising and because we're not making enough money to, to be able to retire at that time. So I, but I think that is pushing a little bit of a shift where 
people are like, well, then how do I want to do a little bit of that now? How can I have some of that freedom before I'm late 60s, 70s, when I don't even think I'm going to get it then? So mm-hmm. we'll see, I guess, how that no, that's <laughs> develops. A, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big part of what I want to do with one of my next projects is really, because I worked for 20-something years as a financial planner, and I'm just ending that career in six months and nine days. Not that I'm counting. Wow. Uh, yeah. So like um, the last 10 years of my life, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've gotten that part to that part of the book yet, but I, I massively restructured. That's what the subtitle of waking up from my American dream was, is I restructured huge parts of what my life was about from a time and a money standpoint, which allowed me the time to explore the things that I was passionate about and interested in, um, which helped me grow a lot as a human being and be a better father and those kind of things. Um, but it also it went massively restructuring my time and how I and where I spent my money and how I spent my money and you know my housing costs and all that kind of stuff allowed me to get reach my goals more quickly because my, my lifestyle costs less money. And because I had more free time to think about who I was and who I wanted to be. And, and, and again, I, I, I didn't dream about being a financial planner as a 12 year old, It's something I needed to do and I was good at it and, and could make money at it. But when I got a little bit of space in my life by freeing up time, it allowed me to think more about, well, if this is what I'm going to do, how can I do it in a way that feels more meaningful to me? And I restructured my business around that so I could help people see that there was, you know, greater, there's more to, more to life than just money and your wealth is beyond your balance sheet and that kind of thing. And that's, that's what I've been focusing on the last six years, which then when I brought my business in alignment with what I was, what was in my heart, I made more money too, which then has allowed me now to like step away from all this and pursue this this part of my life. So I think you're on the right, I think you're on the right track in this, and your message is so important for people to hear wherever they are, whether they're twenties or thirties or forties. Um, so good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to circle back to something we, we talked about a minute ago about when we were talking about America and, and some of the issues we're facing and, um, sometimes I think, well, there's a whole, another just happened to be the same author, Ken Wilber. He talked about the book I think is called wicked problems. And he and a co-author talk about how a lot of the issues we're facing as a society right now are global in nature, you know, climate change, you know, certainly, certainly the pandemic, um, big global economic issues and whether, whatever, for whatever reason, a lot of people aren't able to think beyond a certain size bubble, mm-hmm. whether it's their, just their family members, their family and their friends, their family, and their friends and their religion or political party or whatever it is that that circle of what they call, we stops at some thing that's less than all of us. And that leads to all kinds of problems in itself. You know, a lot of the, in, all the bigotry and, and, and not niceness you see in the world and, and, and evil. Um, but also it leads to an inability 
to understand a, a lot of the big issues that we're facing. You know, COVID being one of them. People, we we weren't able to come together as a society because some some unless someone is affected by it personally, just like like you talked about the climate thing. You know, someone looks out their window in in Missouri and. December and says it and sees it snowing and go, well, they say the, they say, it and <laughs> what do they say? And they say it's getting warmer. Mm-hmm. It's like, cause there's one cold day, you know, it's like, the, and it's not like a, a, I'm not being, uh, it's not a judgment. It's that they look, they look at what they see and I don't see it impacting me. So it must not be an issue. They're, they're, you know, our forests aren't on fire and our crops aren't withering and drying. So it's not an issue. And, um, that's, that's one of the biggest hindrances, I think, in solving some of these big issues. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I hear people talk about this a lot, um, that it's not in a way, right. It's, it's not our natural state to even be able to conceptualize a group of people as big as, as how many people we have on the planet now and to, to wrap our minds around that, like, and, and that that's kind of one of the difficulties with social media is that like our circles were not meant to be so large. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of hope that within that there, there's kind of an answer too, right. That if, because I think people locally are so maybe out of, out of touch or don't get to know their neighbors as much either. So if, mm. if just on a local scale, we could kind of, see ourselves as a group, maybe we would have a better chance at um, caring as an even larger group about some of these issues. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. I, I would have hoped that that something like COVID would make it kind of clear that we're all kind of connected to each other and that the actions of some people are going to kind of affect everybody. But yeah, I think we're still struggling with that one. Yeah. There's a really good book called um, True Enough, Living in a Post-Fact Society. Mm. And it's about a number of issues with the internet and social media and things like that. But one of the, one of the, one of the points the author has is that the internet is this amazing tool that on one hand, like you said, opens up the entire world to you. Um, you can communicate and see and know what people or things or what things are happening all over things that what things are happening all over the world and what people are doing. And on a daily basis, I'll connect with people in, you know, lots of different countries, um, through different messaging apps and things like that. Um, and we have access to all of humanity's knowledge where, you know, for years in Europe, in Europe alone, like only rich people that could read period and read Latin period had access to, and they were rich enough to have books. Mm-hmm. Those are the only people that had access to like a lot of, you know, text and every culture in the world has these sacred texts that only the elite and, you know, the higher, the high people high up in society had access to. And now we all have access to that. And so you can dive in and learn and study all these wonderful things and connect with people all over the world, or you can find this tiny little silo of people that believe just what you believe and stay in that little bubble. And that, that could just be like Bigfoot, Bigfoot conspiracy theories. If that's, if that's your thing, you could just, you could just spend your whole world talking about Bigfoot or the Loch Ness monster or whatever, whatever 
that is. And then that's, that's the lens through which you see the world. And you, like you said, you may not know your neighbor. That's, that's a sad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the internet just has a total lack of humanity because it's not real in in the same sense as the outside Mm. world. And you're not getting that human to human connection. And obviously that's something people talk about in terms of like, um, things becoming more, I don't know, like, like a wider divide in the United States. Right. And, and I, I was thinking about that recently. I had, um, I was at a pop-up market in Kirkwood and for the first time, surprisingly, um, somebody came up and asked me about the story and they're like, Oh, I feel like you have like kind of a political event going on here. Like, why is that? (laughs) Um, and she, she was really sweet. And I, and, um, I was just, you know, saying, Oh, this is, you know, my story. This is kind of a reflection of, of what I think is important. And so that's why different things are here. Um, and I just thought like, oh, that's so interesting because we actually had a great conversation and, and it was an in-person conversation, right? Where I can see the human being in front of me and where she's coming from and I can get her cues and her intentions and, and feel that she's open to a conversation and I'm open to a conversation. Um, and I was yeah. just thinking about how much of that gets lost online where people previously that that would disagree with each other can also see what they have in common in person. And I think online, it just flattens all of that and, and makes it so much more extreme. Yeah. And that's, that's the sad thing is, you know, people on social media, it's impersonal. So they'll say things that they wouldn't have said in real life. And then the situation can devolve really quickly or the, the conversation. It's not a conversation anymore. It's just, it's just, it's a competition to be right versus seeking to be right versus seeing what is right or just even what's this person's perspective. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed, like you've, so you've, you've done a fair amount of travel and I've noticed that sometimes traveling opens up our consciousness in a way that reading or watching movies or social media just doesn't when you're, when you're actually in a different place and, and forced to deal forced to be the foreign, the foreign person, you're, you're the outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, my own experiences that's really opened my eyes to a lot of things by, by traveling in other countries and being forced to like speak another language when, and, and struggle and, um, and try to struggle and tr- learn to understand, well, how, how are things done here? How do you, how do you order foods or how do you, something as simple as, as those kind of things. So how do you, do you, do you think that your experience with travel, and I think you mentioned you, you studied French, has that, did that impact your thinking do you, that you, uh, that you recognize? Oh yeah. And in, in so many ways, um, I was lucky enough to get to go abroad for the first time when I was 14. And so I feel like I was still pretty young and, and it was like an explosive experience. I feel like (laughs) mentally, um, I have a, my godmother lives in France. And so we, we went to go visit her and wow. Yeah, it was amazing. I'm trying to think of anything specific, but I, I feel like it's, um, I did a lot of traveling after that. I studied abroad in college quite a bit. 
Um, but I feel like it's definitely shaped the, the way I think about everything. And, and um, I guess given me a little more freedom in a way to feel like there's not one way to do anything really um, to, to feel, to feel like I can try things in a different way or um, in a different experience um, so yeah, I, I'm super, super grateful for it. I feel like, um, it, it forces you to be more open, um, to different perspectives and different ways of doing things and feeling like you don't always have the right answers or, um, there's not necessarily one right way to do things, um, and things like that. Absolutely. And I try to encourage people too that do travel to other countries to try to try your best to like, if you can, like, do things the way the locals do. You know, if you if you if you do a tour and you're on a bus full of Americans and you're just kind of popping out and doing snapshots, you get to see some pretty cool things and taste foods and have experience and stuff like that. But you're you don't you're missing that other piece of it of like getting a deeper understanding of like how supermarkets work and, you know, just staying in someone's house and how their, how their shower, just sometimes little things like how showers work or they, that people dry, most people dry their clothing without a dryer. (laughs) Just something as simple as that, that like, you know, like going back to restructuring our lives to like meet our goals faster. Um, and I've, I've talked about this story before, but I, I stopped my, my Italian teacher kind of shamed me and encouraged me to, to get a drying rack because of the mm-hmm. cost of uh, the carbon and everything to dry my clothing. And I, I've used my dryer about maybe a dozen times in the last two years now uh, because I, because of that. So just trying to like reduce my, my, um, my electricity consumption. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, what if, how many how many millions of dryers are in our houses across this country that don't need don't really need to be there, like <laughs> literally like imagine if all the dryers were stacked up in a big pile, <laughs> what that would look like, right? <laughs> and you know, and I did that when I moved into my condo, like, and then and that's not just it's not just the cost and consumption to make the darn thing, but it's like it's a thousand dollars that every American, you know, most American households have committed to buying every ten years is another another dumb dryer, another microwave, another, you know, I live in a condo, so when I first kind of started wrapping my mind around, wow, I don't have to own a lawnmower or a leaf blower or a weed eater or a rake. One day, as I was really wrapping my mind around how much money I was saving, because I'd had a house for 15 years and I'd spent stupid amounts of money being a gardener for plants that I threw away. One day, I just stood there in this courtyard of my condo, like imagining the pile of stuff that these 27 families don't have to have. And (laughs) just, and then I'm like, just like so I did multiply that out by, you know, millions and millions of households, uh, what an impact we could have not only in the environment, but it also goes back to like your personal goals of like so many people are wasting years and years of life to work, to buy things that don't really bring them joy that are also destroying the, the, the planet. So <laughs> I'm all about like reshifting what's, what's normal so that we can be happier and less wasteful and destructive. 
Yeah, yeah, that made me think about a couple things. Actually, funnily enough, um, when I first went to Europe and I stayed with my godmother's family, they didn't have a dryer either. And it was one of the most shocking things to me, I feel like, (laughs) that we would go out and hang all their laundry up because I feel like it kind of has a connotation in, in the U.S. of being like, I don't know. I didn't think people Poor. would have done that for decades. That's what it is. Yeah. And definitely. Yeah. And, and yeah. like lower class and just to see like, oh, nobody. And, and basically the whole continent of Europe for the most part uses a dryer. <laughs> and, right. and so I think um, that's kind of like mindset shifting, right? To see like, I don't know, as a 14 year old, like the, the public perception of Europe as being actually a little bit fancy and having more history and and things like that and and to see um that day-to-day people live with a lot less was pretty shocking to me because i don't think you you think about that difference between the united states and europe like they're equated together so often and like political discussions or whatever that i feel like i just thought like oh yeah they probably have the exact same lifestyle as us um but they yeah. really don't. And I and I really use my dryer now either. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I've I've had a similar experience with the the visu- the visualization part too. Like you were talking about with the dryers. Um, when I first started to make like small little sustainable changes to my life, the first thing that I changed um, was my conditioner. So I used to have the, the big conditioner bottles like everybody has. And I switched to a bar conditioner and I just started to picture, I had just read an article about how in 2050 there was going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. And so I started to imagine that every time that I was going to buy a conditioner bottle that it was going to end up in the ocean, like absolutely, no matter what I did with it. <laughs> and so I kind of imagined right. like, um, for the rest of my life, all the conditioner bottles I would have bought being in the ocean. And now it's like eliminated with this Ugh. little bar. And so that felt That's... really empowering, I guess. And I started like slowly switching out item by item. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's the exciting thing about too, like so much of what, what that, that person's comment about, boy, that seems political. So, so much about what we can do if it were framed objectively would be better for the earth, better for the environment. And by, by a, by a pure like economic definition, fiscally responsible. It's, it's not fiscally responsible that, that, that phrase has taken on a different meaning in, in politics and society today. But the way I grew up, it was like, just mean it meant being smart with your money. We didn't have any money. So we had to be smart with our money. So like the amount of things that we make and create as a society to just throw away is absurd. And so, yeah, if, if you think about it, just in terms of like, if, if you don't care about, if you don't care about the ocean or fish or whatever it is, and you just care about yourself and your money. Like you're still you're still throwing away your money. <laughs> you're still, you know, like having having and living the way we do is 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 you're wasting when you, you know, when you throw away your money. You're wasting you're wasting you know the chunk of your life that you gave away to to have the money in the first place. So I think if 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 the argument were laid out, presented that way, 
no matter what your beliefs are, you could say, oh, well, that does make sense. I, you know, why, why do I have a dryer? Why do I have a yard? Not, you know, why do I have a car for every person in the family or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I think it just takes a little bit of interrogation because all these things, like I was saying with how, how the, the lack of a dryer just totally blew my mind. Like it's something that nobody really thinks about it. Everybody does it. So this is what I'm going to do too. And, and there probably isn't even another way to do things. Um, so I mm -hmm. think to your point about what you can learn from traveling specifically, um, that's part of why it's such an eye opener. It's just like all these different ways people are doing things that maybe I could do too if I felt like it worked for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you come across those things, uh, Tim Ferriss talks about that in one of his books or podcasts, he said something about, and he had ex similar experiences. I, cause I did, I had travel, I had, uh, foreign exchange opportunities when I was in high school and college and he had the same thing and, and, but he was in Japan and he just mentioned, you know, every time he kept coming across things that they did that were different. And as a teenager, he was like, well, that's weird. That's weird that they drive on the left side of the road. And that's weird that they, you know, do this or whatever. I think he mentioned they take baths before they take showers over there. But then at some point his brain start going, well, maybe it's weird that we don't do that. Maybe it's, maybe it's weird that we get into a bathtub dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and, sit, uh -huh. and sit in dirty water, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, and he's, uh -huh. he credits that, <laughs> he credits that, that shock to his system and what was quote normal to helping him think differently and, and, and applied that and attributed that to the, a lot of the successes he's had as an entrepreneur. And I, without having made that connection, I, I, I agree. And, it, and, and I think that's true for a lot of people that have, have traveled and, and taken the time to like kind of see the world through another, another set of eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Just like the whole idea that, that we can, can make different decisions or make changes both individually and then like collectively as a country or as a society or whatever. Um, that's something I think about a lot too just the idea that the way things are now, like somebody decided that, you know, it, it's not inevitable mm -hmm. or like a fact of nature that this is how we live our lives, but it's kind of a choice. And so yeah. we could make it a different choice. Exactly. If enough, enough people just decide that this is, this is a, I'm not driving to the office every day, I'm just not mm -hmm. going to do it, <laughs> whatever it is. I'm not going to buy stupid plastics, shampoo bottles and, all on and on and on and on. So we could, I think we could talk about this for hours. Uh, but I think we'll, this is a good place to maybe to wrap up and um, just remind people. Um, first of all, if you live in Shaw, you live in Tower Grove, you come down here for the farmer's market, go see Morgan at the social goods marketplace on Shenandoah. Um, I'll post, I'll post your website and and your Instagram link on the show notes so people can follow you and find you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or mention to folks before we wrap up? Um, no, I think that's great. Like you said, we, I could go on for hours. So um, yeah, if you're interested yeah. in any of this stuff, come see me and we can chat or I can recommend you a book. You can recommend me a book. Perfect. Yeah, they get, and they should go go see Morgan. Yeah, as a bonus, we didn't talk about this, but you get to meet Teddy, uh, oh, yeah. super amazing, cute dog, <laughs> mask the the social goods uh, mascot. So yes. go 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 see Teddy, 
and um, look for ways you can start reducing your plastic. If, if every listener stopped buying, you know, plastic scrub brushes and plastic shampoo and conditioner bottles, that that what a difference that would make. And then tell their friends and their friends and their friends, and that's how movement starts. So let's let's do this. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Well, cool. Well, Morgan, well, thank you so much for joining me and um, I'll be down to see you soon. And I hope, uh, I hope everybody else will too. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, that is a wrap for my episode with Morgan Knoll founder of the social goods marketplace. Um, she is an amazing person and I'm so, I'm so excited to have her store right in my, right in my backyard. That is just an alignment and an alignment with a lot of the things that I'm trying to do and that I hope more people in my neighborhood will do and be inspired and, and, um, spiral out to people, around the country and around the world that they know as they find out like, oh, you don't have to do this or you could buy products this way instead of that way. So again, the social goods marketplace, um, as a reminder, she, it was, it's so cool to, to meet someone that at, at, um, at the beginning of her life and career, she's took a step back and, and created a business around her, her values. And, and the, the three core values are sustainability, social justice, and self-care. And as we talked about that, so it's for the, the the individual, society as a whole, and the world. I mean, what a what a beautiful thing! So, I have so many friends I know that that are that care about these issues, money individually or collectively, and this is a great way to support that. So, go see Morgan uh, on Shenandoah. I will put again the web her website on in the show notes but she's you know for locals she's just you know right here in tower grove on uh, shenandoah uh, as a bonus you get to meet teddy her cute her cute mascot dog that lives there i don't usually have a mascot but her dog and you know again check it out we talked about the soap and we talked about books and there's you know bamboo toothbrushes and uh again you know, all kinds of products and, and books and interesting things so go check it out and see what she has to offer and then just if, I would love it if everybody, if, if you go there and are inspired to make a purchase that that's different, you know, whether it's soap or shampoo or whatever, uh, let me know. Give it, let's, let's help spread the word, you know, go to, go to, um, you know, on my Instagram or on Twitter or, or wherever and tag me and tag, uh, the social goods marketplace so that we know that we know that you're doing that and you're doing your part because, you do it and then your friends do it and on and on and on who knows what kind of impact we could have. So let's again, uh, as part of living our dreams, do what we can to be the change. So that's what I got. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it inspired you to take a step back and look at your life and what you're doing and, and how you're, what kind of things you're buying and where you're buying them and also your career and, and what, it, wherever you are in your career, um, at the beginning of it, the middle of it, the end of it. Uh, we saw last week we had uh, Stephen Finley Archer, who at the end of his career uh, as an engineer went and started writing books. Um, 
I'm kind of in the middle and I've been massively reshaping my life and my career. So wherever you are, you're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too busy. You can um, at least make a plan, set an intention, and then that gets you thinking, gets you thinking about what what could I what could I do differently if I had more time, if I had more money, and sometimes just asking those questions and setting the intentions sets things in motion. And you may not be able to do something right away, um, but you, we can all make small changes. So I just in, encourage you to do that wherever you are, 20, 40, 50, 70. We all, again, have 100% of our life out of us to do something, to live our dreams and be the change. So thank you for joining me on this. If you take some actions, let me know and have a good day and enjoy your journey. Thank you. Thank you.